All right, so a bit, I expect some of you are wondering, you've heard about that building, like what, what is that about? Um, basically, uh, just, I'll just give you a little bit of what, what it is. It's, uh, it, it looks like a barn, but it's not. It's actually a complete glass building, but it looks like a barn because the way it's designed and the slats and stuff around it. One half of it is a 200-seater auditorium, um, obviously open, big open roof like this. And then the second half of it downstairs is like all the kitchen and all that kind of stuff. And then upstairs you've got uh, teaching rooms and then some residential areas as well. Because the, the vision of it is not just to be merely a church building, but also this, this vision that God gave me a while ago about the whole restoration of the monastic communities. So it's about working the land, praying on the land, uh, and teaching people a model of Christianity, which is both both ancient and modern, and that people can come, they can re reside there for a while, learn how to do it, learn the model, and then take that away with them and go wherever they are going to and plant that model wherever they're at. And, uh, and then also within that, because obviously monasteries developed schools and hospitals, so therefore, you know, there'll be, pl it'll be a place of education. Uh, we'll have like a Christian kind of school in there, which will be hopefully Fergos, if they agree to it, um, stuff like that. So, yeah, so there's, uh, that's, that's in the plan. So it's all designed. The next thing we've got to do now is get the local council on board, and then it's planning, and, and uh, I'm sure it'll be one, one good fight after another. But, uh, yeah, God's good. But, it, but it's Eric and Jean also had this vision as well. Um, and so it all kind of just came together and you know, they've generously um, allowed us to do that. Okay, so let's turn, if you will, to 1 John chapter 4. So 1 John chapter 4. And we're going to look at just verse 16 uh, to start with. 1 John chapter 4, verse 16. So let's have a little, little Bible study, see where the Holy Spirit takes us, shall we? So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. Yeah, this is John is a John is a wonderful as a wonderful um, pastor, and he's a he has a he has a, a revelation and an insight into things that I think some of the other authors of the Bible didn't quite have. I mean, you know, the Apostle Paul had the, the revelation of what the gospel actually is. I mean, they all had the revelation of the gospel. But in each of the letters, you can see different, different of the apostles had different revelations. And John is the one that is known as, he, he's the one whom Jesus loved. Yeah? And if I, was to, if I was to choose of all the disciples and the apostles, which one to be, I think 10 years ago, I'd have chosen the Apostle Peter, right? Because he's like the dynamic dude. He gets the job done. And uh, he's like the action man. He gets to walk on water and all that kind of stuff. And, and uh, you know, even his shadow and all that. All these people get healed in his shadow. That, that would have been me 10 years ago. That's what I'd like. I want to be that man, okay? But over the years, as, I, as I've grown to know God in my relationship with God, I've realized that actually I'd rather be the disciple whom Jesus loved. I'd rather be the guy that on the night of the Passover, I leant my head against his chest and I heard the heartbeat of God. I, I would rather be that guy than the action hero. Because 
to me, John encapsulates, probably for me, um, and this is personal, obviously, uh, really what Christianity is about. You know, you always hear me going like people go, why do you always go on about knowing God? I mean, what's the big deal? You just go on and on and on and on and on about it. It's because, you know, every Christian's got their thing, right? Haven't they? Every Christian's got their thing. I don't know what it is, but my thing is, is knowing God. When I first got saved, Jesus said, came to me personally. And he said three things. Stop what you're doing. Come to know me. You can be forgiven for what you're doing. And so that, that thing of come to know me has been my lifelong quest, so to speak. And we look at this verse, verse 16, and it starts with, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. But you see, the love of God in the Greek is the word agape. It means this self-sacrificial giving love. Um, it's not like eros. It's not like filio. It's, it's, it's kind of the royal love. And the old English translations translated it as charity. Yeah, charity. It's, um, it's that giving. It's, the, um, it's just that generosity. And this is the love of God. It is a giving, generous love. Now, God isn't just a giving God of generosity, of, of love. God is agape. I'll say that again. God is agape. Agape or love is not an attribute of God. He is defined as love. And, and, and so, you know, the world twists that and say, oh, yeah, but love is God. No, that's not what it's saying. God is the manifestation of all that which is pure and holy and right and righteous and pure. And he is very love. And, and the love that we think we understand is but a meager comprehension of the original design, which comes from God himself. That affection that we can have for one another. That affection that causes us to do uh, heroic things to save someone's life or, or to go that extra mile. Is, is something that's in, that, that isn't inspired by man, but is inspired by God himself, because that's where it comes from. He is not only the source of love, he is love. But it, it, it comes to this first bit, because you see, John is really quite clever. He's talking about love, but actually he's talking about God, but he's also actually talking about love. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. When I, when I was at Bible college years ago, you come out of that place with like a really heavy head because you've got all of this knowledge and absolutely no experience of which to place it into. And so then my, my frustration was, Lord, how can I get that up there and get it down in, into here, into my heart? And that comes in time. But it also comes as you know God as well. Now, I'm telling you some things today so that you don't make the same mistakes that I made. Okay? So when I was younger, I, I was <laughs> yeah, I was I, I was I was really, really I was just an arrogant upstart. I, I was the I was the radical Christian, right? The one that thought I was radical. And everybody else were just the oldies that were all too tired. I'm the radical one. For, no one's doing the things that I'm doing for Jesus. No one's as, as good as me. No one prays as hard as me. Nobody does this. No one's reading the Bible like I am. I am the radical Christian. And everyone just looked at me like, ah, oh, there, there, poor little Chrissy. He hasn't learned some stuff. <laughs> I was like, get off. <laughs> 
Where am I going? Yeah, so I, I was, uh, and I remember, I remember doing all of this stuff, and, and then one day my wife just said to me, she said, you know what your problem is? I was like, what's that? You don't know God. I was like, what? You know, there are certain things that your wife can say to you that really cut to the heart, yeah? Sometimes because they're mean, but this one was because, this one was because it was true. I just knew inside of me that for all of my striving and for all of the, the things that I did and put on this great show of how awesome I am, I realized that in my heart of hearts that I was bereft of a relationship with God. But I prayed for hours a day and I read my Bible for hours a day and I thundered the heavens and banged on that door. Oh, Jesus, let me have your anointing. Send me to the nations. Let me raise the dead and heal the sick. But I didn't know him. It's that scary verse, isn't it? I think in one of the Gospels where it said, but Jesus, I did signs and wonders. I prophesied in your name. I, I, I did all these wonderful things. He said, depart from me. I do not know you. I think one of the greatest things that Jesus ever did for me was to save me from my own desires. My own desire was to be uh, a big preacher that would go around the nations preaching, preaching the gospel and preaching and seeing signs and wonders and all of these amazing things happening. That was always my heart's desire. But if God had given me my heart's desire at that time, it would have destroyed me. Because I'd have had all the externals. I'd have had the anointing. I'd have had the power. I've had the authority, but deep down inside, and I know it to be true, I would have felt cold, frustrated, and somehow alone. Because all of those things, as wonderful as they are, is not Christianity. John 17, 3, eternal life is knowing God. Everything else is secondary. And we're so good at making secondary things the primary thing. No, the only thing that matters is Jesus. Jesus, that's all that matters. But we're so good at getting bogged down with everything else, aren't we? Oh, but this is important to me, and that's important to me, and, and this is my thing, and that's my bag, and this is my soapbox. It's like, well, that's all very well and good, but that isn't the heart of what Christianity is about. It's all about Jesus. So we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. You see, part of our journey as a Christian is to know God and to know his love. Because if you don't really know his love in that kind of way, in that kind of depth, in that, in that wonderful way, then you can't truly administer that to other people. How can you administer something to others that you yourself do not possess? Now, you do have the gospel. You do have the spirit of God within you. But, but you can't impute to someone else. You, you can't give to someone or teach someone else that which you yourself are not walking in. And so, I, I guess... I mean, I pursue things. Like, you know, I want, I, my heart is to see God moving in signs and wonders and miracles. Of course it is. But now I'm just like, you know what, I'm putting that over there because actually for me, everything, everything in my life only revolves around one thing and his name is Jesus. And everything else is superfluous. 
I don't care about prophecy. I don't care about the gift of this and the gift of that or my theological leaning on this. All I care about is knowing Jesus. That has to be the fundamental thing that we are as Christians. You know, we often use things to define us, don't we? I mean, we get this in the world. So you get gothics. They dress a certain way. That's their culture. That's their clan. You know, as a young teenager, I remember I, I, I wanted to belong to something, yeah, which was difficult when I was brought up on Hawkwind. I mean, it's like, who are they? I mean, they're like 70s hippie band, and I'm in the 90s now, and it's like, who do I belong to? I, I, didn't, I didn't have a tribe, but there was people around me, like all these goths walking around, guys that looked like the living dead because their faces were so pale and their hair so black. Like, man, I'm really into goth music. It's like, man, that stuff's killing you. And... Um, we all want to have a tribe. But then you had the, the heavy metal dudes, you know, with their Iron Maiden t-shirts on and stuff like that. You, you, everyone wanted a tribe. And we do it as Christians. We like, to, we like to be tribal. This is my tribe. This is where I fit. This is my thing. But as I was saying in this morning's sermon, the danger for Christians is that we can ghettoize ourselves. But is that how Jesus does things? If you look at his 12 disciples, the men that shook and changed the world... Were they all of the same ilk? I mean, for goodness sake, I mean, you had, you had uh, Matthew, who was a tax collector. So he worked for the Roman Empire, okay, to get some taxes, and he probably got paid quite handsomely in the process. And then you've got two zealots. Zealots! Those guys wanted to overthrow the Roman Empire, and they used some pretty nasty means to try to attempt to do it. So here you've got Matthew and a couple of zealots. Then you've got Peter, who's what I call a, uh, a blue-collar worker, and that's an American term for, you know, a labourer type guy. He's a fisherman, you know. And, and you've got the clever guys, and they're the white-collar workers because they're, like, working in an office and stuff like that. Jesus didn't ghettoize these guys. They said, right, let's just have a... I'll have a group of disciples that are only zealots. I'll have a group of disciples that, are, um, that are only uh, work for Rome. He didn't. He stuck them all together. He, we, he, never, he never wanted a ghettoized church. That is not the heart of God. It is not the body of Christ. The body of Christ is a living, vibrant, vivacious thing that is made up of many, many different things. And we all have to learn to get on with each other and make it work and make it happen. So we have come to know and to believe that God, sorry, the love that God has for us. And if there's anything that can transform us, anything more than anything else in this world, it is only the love of God. You know, when I, when I first got saved, I said last week, I, I, was, I used to like listen to loads of Kenneth Copeland and all that kind of stuff. You know, I wanted, to, I wanted to be like the man of faith. I wanted to do all that sort of stuff. And I wanted to learn how to do it. And it was all good stuff and it helped me out in some ways. But at the end of the day, it's still an external. It's not, who, it's not really doing anything within me. The only thing that, that ever really changed me, the only thing that ever really transformed me, the only thing that has the power to change lives is the love of God. And the world needs to see the love of God. There is such an indifference out there now. I know people that do healing on the streets. They see people getting healed on the streets. But most of the people that get healed on the streets just don't care. Oh, wow. Thank you. I'm healed. Amen. Off they go. Do you want to know Jesus? No, not really. But thanks for healing me. There is this apathy. But it's the love of God that is the power of God that can change and transform people and can change and transform nations. 
The Bible is the most banned book in all of the world. And you think, well, why is that? What's so radical about the Bible that it must be banned? Because the message is love. The message is that man is made in the image of God. He's the Imago Dei, the Imago Dei, which means he is made in the image of God. That means man has worth and he has value. That means we don't do slavery. That means we don't do communism where we all believe the same thing. God wants it so that everyone has merit, everyone has value. But the heart of what God wants and the heart of the gospel is this. Sin separated man from God. Jesus is the bridge between man and God. He dealt with sin on the cross by dying for us so that the way to God could be made open again. For what reason? So that we could get into this place and stand on a soapbox? So that we could call ourselves Anglican, Methodist, (laughs) Baptist, Catholic, uh, Pentecostal? No, so that we could know the one true God. Romans 5.1, so that we can have peace with God. The kingdom of heaven is righteousness, peace. I'll say the full verse. The kingdom of God is not found in food or drink, but in righteousness, peace and joy. Hallelujah. And our joy is our strength in the Lord. So we have come to know. And that word to know means to be intimately acquainted with. We have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. Many of us know that God loves us. We all in this room know that God loves us. We understand that as a theological concept, just as we understand God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit as the Trinity. But do you know God? So that when he speaks to you, you know it's the Father or it's the Son or it's the Holy Spirit that's speaking to you. Do you know God's love in that way or is it a theological construct to you or to me? Otherwise, your your and my Christianity becomes a a husk of of, of stuff that we do thinking, well, that's what a Christian does. But it's not what a Christian does that defines you. It's what a Christian is that defines you. And, and it's not a Christian being. It's a, sorry, it's not a Christian doing. It's a Christian being. It's about being in Christ. But, but, but I have Christ in me, the hope of glory. Yes, well done. Theologically, that's true. But that changes nothing, really, until you are in Christ Jesus. And then you can walk in the fullness of the reality of Christ that's living in you. Many of us walk in our lives with Christ in us, but we do not walk in Christ Jesus. Paul's always going on about knowing the revelation of Christ in you, but Peter is always going on about be in Christ Jesus. It's not one or the other, it's both. And therefore our desire as Christians must be Jesus. I want to know you more and more and more and more. And because I know him, I begin to understand love. And because I know love, I begin to believe in that love. And because I know that love and I believe in that love, that love can change and transform me. And if it can change and transform me, then I know as surely as I stand here that what I have been given, I can freely give to you and it will change and transform you too. carry on God is love 
And whoever abides in love abides in God. Why? Because God is love. And God abides in him. So if you are walking in the love of God, well, let's wind it back. If you are in Christ Jesus and you're walking in the love of God, you're abiding in God and he is abiding in you. The logic there go is, if we're not walking in the things of God and the love of God, therefore he is not in us. Theologically, he will never fail you or forsake you. But you know as well as I do, if you're switched on enough, that when you behave badly, that presence leaves. Even though still theologically he's inside of you, because it's not talking about Christ in you, it's talking about being in Christ Jesus. And we can grieve the Holy Spirit by things that we say and by things we think, and his presence will wane from us. And surely it should be the heart of us all that we want to live in a place where we're always under the shadow of his wing. That we're under the shadow of Shaddai, Psalm 91. And it's in the place of the shadow of God you can have all of those benefits. You know, at my right hand and at my left hand and all that kind of stuff. But those benefits only come, not because you're a believer, not because you're a Christian with a name on a tin, but because you abide under the shadow of Almighty God. Hallelujah. I, I, you know what? On my gravestone, I do not want people to write, um, or I don't want this is to be my, my, on my gravestone, you know, Chris Wickland, man of God, changed the nations, healed 15,000 people, plus, plus this potential person on, on such day, but we're not quite sure about that one. Uh, and also that he raised five people from the dead and, and, and give me all these statistics of the things that I did. I don't want that to be my legacy. I want on my gravestone, here lies a man of God who loved God. Amen. That's all I want on my gravestone. Yeah. And my name would be nice. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want anything else. I don't want an epitaph to my glory and to my victories or even to my failures. I just want one thing. I was a man that loved God. And everybody in this room, I know in your heart of hearts, that is the one thing that we must surely desire. And if it's not something we are truly desiring, it means we're kind of not in, we're not quite in, in place. But that's okay because God is good, right? You know what he says? If you say, oh, Jesus, I'm just not really hungry for you. Well, the Bible says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So all you need to do is say, Jesus, make me hungry. Jesus, make me hungry. Oh, Lord, make me so hungry. That's a dangerous prayer to pray because, man, he will make you hungry. You won't know what to do with yourself. <laughs> I'm just so hungry. I don't know what to do. You'll just read and read and read and pray and pray and pray and pray. Hallelujah. Amen. By this, about abiding in God and God is by this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is so are we also in this world I, I, this is a really important thing I want to stress here a couple of years ago uh, well God has told me to research different movements uh, in, Chris, in Christendom and so I particularly researched one particular movement for two years but when I research it, I don't just research it, man, I'm in it. You know, I experience it, I get into their theology, and I live it. So, so I can see and feel the good stuff and the bad stuff. Now, I'm not going to tell you what I got into, 
But I, but, but I will tell you this. I got myself into a place that when I died the second time, I, I, when I came out of that, 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 that place, I thought that I'd lost my salvation. Now, I'm telling you this because I am trying to tell you these things so that you will learn from my mistakes. And don't make the same mistakes that I have made, for goodness sake. And I, I, it's so subtle, and yet the ramifications are so dangerous. That I went from a man that was flowing in the things of God into a works-based Christian. Now, we all have good works to do. We've got to behave ourselves and there's holiness and stuff. But I was doing it for the wrong reasons and the wrong motivation. To the point where I just felt like if I hadn't prayed enough, and if I hadn't done this enough, and I hadn't done that enough, maybe God wouldn't be pleased with me. And maybe, just maybe, I'm not going to make it to heaven. I mean, where did this stuff come from? I know that I'm justified by faith. But it's because my heart was deceived and I was practicing things that are absolutely fine, but it was my heart that wasn't fine. And I put my heart into a bad place. And I think personally, that's what killed me. And that's why when I came out of that place, I was gasping for air like, God, have I lost my salvation? Have I lost the plot? Because I became so obsessed with the externals that I forgot what it was all about. And it's about Jesus. It took me a while to get my confidence back in my faith and my Lord. Because I became obsessed with the externals and obsessed with everything else. And I'd lost my way and I'd forgotten the heart of what it was all about. It is all about Jesus. And let that be a warning to everyone in this room. That if you start drifting, I don't care... What movement you're in, what stream, I tell you what, it doesn't matter what stream of Christianity you are in. Everyone, it, Pentecostals, Charismatics, we're all susceptible to this. That we get to ourselves into such a place, into such a tizzy, we think, well, if I haven't done this, and if I haven't done that, and if I haven't done this, God will not be pleased with me. And if I haven't done this, I haven't pleased God. And if I haven't done this, I haven't pleased God. And blah, 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 blah. Well, my Bible says, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, He who knew no sin became sin, that I might become the righteousness of God. I am the righteousness of God, and so are you by Christ. Does that mean I can live a lawless life? Absolutely not. But I will stand by faith that Jesus has done a finished work on the cross and I'm learning to live in the fullness of the finished work. So why am I trying to add to it? Nailing a bit more on that cross. Now, Jesus, I don't think you quite did enough there. Dig, 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 dig. No, his work is sufficient and final. And now, that, as we said earlier in communion, the tent, the veil has been torn now I can come boldly to the throne of grace through the flesh of Christ and I can come before my Father. And I, I can come into his presence now where I can sense when Father is speaking to me. And I can sense when the Spirit is speaking to me. And I can sense when the Son is speaking to me. And I've, and I've learnt to walk in God now where I don't have a problem with God the Father. You know how some people, when, you, when I first came to faith, I could relate to Jesus but I couldn't relate to the Holy Spirit. I was like, what's that about? I mean, it's like a, this wispy, ghosty thing. I can't relate to that. And the Father, well, you know, didn't really get on with my Father growing up, so I don't really relate to God the Father. 
But then as I grew to knew, because I grew in my knowledge of God and grew to know him, I realised that everything Jesus did was what the Father did. So when Jesus went to the cross, it was as though the Father himself went to the cross. When Jesus washed the disciples' feet, it was as though the Father excuse me, had washed the, father, the disciples' feet. And when you realise there is only one God and not three, because we all get sales into a right little muddle of that. Oh, oh, who am I praying to? Am I praying, am I praying to the Father through the Son via the Holy Spirit? Oh, I'm just getting confused. I just said the word God. I hope he doesn't mind. Oh, maybe I should use this name or that name or, or this name or that name. It's like, he knows he's your Father. He knows who you're talking to. He's not an idiot. <laughs> you don't have to go. This is what Christianity is about, brothers and sisters. My wife, she had a dream a long time ago. And in this dream, these people were coming up to her uh, and saying, hey, what's the gospel? What's the gospel? And in the dream, she didn't really know what to say to them. She was like, um, well, and as Christians, we become so theologically meticulous that sometimes we forget what the gospel is, even is. We can, you know, I remember a long time ago, I did a a year of training uh, for men, discipleship school around here. It was like a year long. And for 10 weeks, I had to get men to preach me a gospel sermon. Okay. The first eight weeks were the worst gospel sermons I'd ever heard in all my life. It was always the same. Well, you see, it all began in the Garden of Eden. And then came sin, then came the fall, then came Moses, then... Oh, for goodness sake, they don't even believe in Jesus, let alone Adam and Eve. You're telling me the theology of the gospel, but you're not telling me the gospel. Eight weeks I was telling this to them. Finally, week 10 was so great that I nearly gave my life to the Lord again. I mean, seriously, some of their sermons were, were just like, wow, let's take an offering. I always want to run to the front, give my life to Jesus. Hallelujah. It was awesome. They got it. But as Christians, we're, we're so obsessed with the, the, the doctrine and the externals that we forget what it's all about. And it's about knowing Jesus. It's about having an encounter with the living God. And we, we mess it up and we muddle it up and we add all this stuff around it. Isn't that what the Pharisees did to the law of God? They added an extra load of laws around that. And even as charismatics, we add our own little cranky little cookie laws don't we little things that we've got to do and if I don't do this and I've got to do that and I've got to do that it's just nonsense there is a place for spiritual discipline absolutely but let us not be guilty of the Pharisees where they added additional stuff whether you're Pentecostal or whether you're uh, Catholic or Anglican or Baptist we all have our little extra things that we add on but the heart of the gospel is knowing God so We have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God. God abides in him. Jesus, I pray for us all, Lord. Lord, that we we drop the trippings. Not trippings, the trimmings, Lord. And and, and we, we, we drop all the other stuff that we make, secondary issues which we make as primary issues, Lord. Lord, keep us pure, keep us true, Lord God, and help us each day, Lord, to grow more and more and more in love with you because you are love 
And as we get a revelation of love, we get a revelation of you. And as we get a revelation of you, we become what we behold and we are transformed into that which we behold. Jesus, I pray, make us more Christ-like and help us to grow to know you day by day by day through the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name. And all the saints said, Amen. Amen. Hallelujah.